your email address, and we will send you, like if we mention a, a book or a something in class, a tool that might be helpful to you, we will send you that information. Um, what other information do we normally send? If we're going to have a guest speaker, we'll let you know that. But we don't normally bombard you with emails, just, you know, like to know. Um, I do want to repeat John's disclaimer of last week that we are not professionals. <laughs> we are parents of four girls and four boys, and hopefully we will, if nothing else, be able to walk with you through parenting. Um, hopefully we will provide you with some tools that will be helpful and some discussion. Um, right now, let's pray before we start our class, and then we'll get into it. You, O oh God, are our strength our patience, and our counsel. Thank you, God, for our children. Help us to enjoy each day, even the hard ones. Please help us to be transparent enough to this class and to our children for them to learn from our successes and our mistakes. Help us to stand strong on your truths and give us the wisdom to meet our child's personal needs. Allow us to see our children as the individuals you created them to be and help us to encourage them to thrive in your purpose for their life. We pray that you will keep building our character so that our children have a model to follow. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Last summer, um, my third son, Jake, and I got the chance to go to J.H. Ranch in Edna, California. How many of you have heard of J.H. Ranch? Raise your hands. Okay. Um, it, it actually surprisingly pulls a, a large number of people from Nashville. There have been a lot of people here locally who've really uh, been supportive of it. It's an extraordinary program, uh, but it's a, it's a week-long outdoor experience with your child, uh, and it's focused around bonding between the parent and the child, but it's also focused around uh, developing a framework for, for Scripture and your spiritual walk. And, and Jake and I got to do this while we were there, uh, so uh, that was one of the things that we got to do. The, the interesting thing about that was he actually pulled the ripcord. Um, while we were there, the parents, while the teens are doing a workshop, the parents break into a session and they do a, 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 a curriculum based on this graphic. And now I need to tell you that I work in and around kind of the design field and this is really bad form. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, the content is fantastic. The form is way overstimulating. So I, I thought I would simplify for you on there, and we can talk about that in great detail, either how bad it is or we can talk about the content later. But on there, there's some great content about the philosophy of the stages of parenting. And as a level set, we thought we would just introduce this idea to you guys because it's really helpful information. Uh, <clears throat> so the folks that came up with that curriculum said that from zero to five years, your role as a parent is to be the caretaker. You're the person who's supposed to be the protector, the provider, and then, of course, a lot of prayer. So just so we can do a level set, uh, if you have a child in the zero to five years age range, raise your hand. Okay, so good number, probably a third. <coughs> okay, 
The second stage <clears throat> is five to 12 years, and your role there is apparent to be the cop. So caretaker, now cop. Your role there is to teach, train, discipline, and more prayer. So raise your hand if you have a five to 12 year old. Okay, good, that's about half of the class. All right. The third stage is 12 to 17 years old, and there you're supposed to transition, according to the curriculum, to being a coach where your focus is on teaching, modeling, encouraging, and praying. So now raise your hand if you have a 12 to 17-year-old. Okay, so a smaller number in the class. And then lastly, uh, as you move to 18 plus, your role changes to that of a consultant. And there your role is to listen, support, advise, and pray. So raise your hand if you have someone in 18 plus, okay. So what's interesting is, I hope you're kind of picking up what I'm laying down, and that is what's interesting is, according to, to the folks that put this together, we confuse our roles. Some of us still here are trying to be cop. Some of us here are, you know, here are trying to be cop. And so, first, the information we're presenting, we're trying to be considered the fact that there's a diversity of parents within the age, you know, parent, uh, child age groups within the class. But uh, this material we're pre particularly presenting this morning fits all of these age groups. We're, we're actually quite pleased with how it fits all of these age groups. The examples we're, we're gonna show you, however, um, are gonna be more in these two categories, simply because that's kind of where our, our children are. But Catherine particularly will reference how they fit those younger age groups. So, Monty, you want to come up? So, um, last week I, I started a conversation, um, or was was talking about a conversation that my daughter and I had out on our deck. And I was when I was thinking about the class of parenting, and I was reading through Proverbs, and she she made the statement. So, you know, would you like for me to hear? Would you like to hear from me either what you did well as a parent or what, after I've been through a lot of the conflict we had, what I look back on our, our, my life or her life, and, and these were some of the things that were important to her. And so, and she mentioned one of the lists, we had a list of five, and because I was taking copious notes, because it's sometimes good to get some good feedback, uh, that your child actually you know, likes some of the things that you did. But, uh, but she talked about humility and that that was an incredibly important role in maintaining our relationship throughout some of the conflict. And so, um, and this isn't one of our highlights, but I'm just going to tell a story. There was a, and, and I can't even remember exactly why she was angry. I don't even know why I was even angry. I don't know. But... It was just one of the few blow-ups, or one of the many blow-ups, I think, that we had in our relationship during these 12 to 17-year-old. And, uh, you know, there were times when Tanya would just say, hey, go get her, you know. I, and that, this wasn't one of those times. I don't remember, but I remember we were, we had this place in our basement, and it was a cellar. It's where a washer and dryer was, and we had a, you know, there's a little room there. And then I had a room off the side, and and it was really good because most time no one would come down there because there's a lot of these little hoppy bugs and creepy crawlers and stuff. So sometimes it gave me some little peace and quiet. But in this case, we were down in that in that cellar and she was just in 
incredibly angry and you could see it in her eyes and she was just arguing and she was it was just intense in fact it was so intense that she actually hit me she actually just wrapped bam around the shoulder I'm like ooh, uh, I didn't do that um, but that's just how intense it was and in fact it left a bruise and it was you know it was a big deal and you know I had I didn't practice Proverbs here where it says a gentle answer turns away wrath. Instead, I did something more like, I'm going to take you down if you hit me again. But, um, but I was really concerned about that. I mean, obviously. I mean, we're at a point now where my daughter can physically, you know, take a swing at me. And so I used, I, I just, you know, at that point you're just kind of, you're just kind of broken, and you, and, you, and you fall before the Lord. And, and I was praying, and I was like, you know, God, just, you've got to help me here. You've got to give me some insight. You've got to, you know, what is it that I can do to, in, in my words, was to change her, right? Um, so I, and I had, like I said, there's this room off the side. I had a little chair there, had the lights off, and I'm just, you know, asking God to speak in some way or another. Just speak to me. Tell me what's going on. Tell me what I can do or be different. And I got a different answer than what I expected. The answer that God, I felt like, put on my heart was, you've got a lot of pride. And it's time to practice some humility. And, and it was given to me in some specific ways. And I also thought, you know, when he said pride, I, I was thinking to myself, well, how does this fix anything? You know, I mean, she's the one that's got the problem, right? And obviously she has some problems, but she's the one with the problem. How is this going to help at all? And the message kept coming back to me. You know, I had this sense of I wanted to be right. I wanted to win. I wanted to, you know, it's a real competitive situation. You know, that's not very humble. Um... I was worried in a lot of ways so much about how her, her behaviors were reflecting on me, whether I was a good parent or not. You know, I, would, I didn't want the whole world to know that we were struggling, you know, that we had these perfect, we, we wanted them to see that we had these perfect kids and that sort of thing. And, and that had a lot of pride. And, and, and so many times, and we're talking about listening a lot today, I would have these ready responses before she would even finish what she was saying, you know, so I wasn't validating anything that she was trying to communicate to us, which I'm sure contributed to her anger. Um, and I think, in, in, and lastly, I mean, when, you, when we struggle with some of these things with kids, we, we, we always tend to think we can fix it ourselves. We go to that well first. And I think that it's wiser to go to the well that says, God, you know, what is your plan for this? How, show me how uh, we can help. In fact, my prayer became more and more of this. God, you love her more than I love her. You know her better than I know her. So just help me join in to the work you're already doing in her life. Because I can't fix it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not smart enough. <laughs> I, and and no, none of us can So I went to the bookstore, as we all try to do, try to get help. 
because it's beyond and gives this whole idea of humility. In fact, there are a lot of times when I felt like I was already a humble person. And obviously, God was saying, you're not, you're not enough. We need to go on that pathway towards humility. And I bought this little book, and it is one of the classics by Andrew Murray. And I would, um, it's, a, it's a good read, and it's, it's, he was an old uh, revivalist preacher in uh, South Africa and also in Scotland, another European thing. But here is a quote that I got from the book uh, as I rewrite it some this weekend. Humility is the only soil in which graces root. The lack of humility is sufficient explanation of every defect and failure. Humility is not so much a grace or virtue along with other, others. It is the root of all because it alone takes the right attitude before God and allows him as God to do all. And one of the pictures that he presents is just this idea, and I was looking out in my yard and there were the trees and looking at the beautiful trees that are there, and he was just creating this picture of, you know, if, if all the virtues and values and things that we want, especially for us or for our kids, are kind of like, you know, the beautiful leaves are on the tree, you know, humility basically is what provides the nutrients and water and all those things that make these other values really thrive, which is where last week I kind of put up some of the different values that we have that are in, inside of Proverbs and encouraging us all to continue to read. But if you look at all these sorts of things, you know, how we listen, how we talk, how we hold our tongue, I think this is, I didn't actually give the subscripts here, but the power of a woman, you know, you have... And I think humility is all a difference, right? I mean, you have a Proverbs 31 woman who was like incredible and it was taking care of the family and, and, and buying and selling and, and almost like her own. And just so. And then there's the other part of Proverbs that talks about the woman who's like, it's better to be on the corner of a roof than to be with a nagging wife, you know? And what's the difference there? And I think so much of that is, you know, this humility that, that she can have. And so I just uh, highlighted a few scriptures of some of the things about, again, we're kind of talking about today about about listening, about communicating, but again, the source of that has to be humility because we're going to value what they say or what who we're talking to even more than we value what we're saying. That's kind of a definition of humility. So here are just a few. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongue. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. The way of fools seem right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but many advisors, but with many advisors they succeed. Listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. And then the last it is one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. So, just with this in mind as we're going forward, we're going to talk about listening and communicating those sorts of things, but again, to me, what feeds that is humility. I've been, uh, my watch has been going off and some people have already asked how can we get these slides. If you'll sign up on that email list, we're gonna, we'll send some of the big 
PowerPoint slides to you and some of these books. So, <clears throat> um, I want to talk about reflective listening and building on what Monty and John just outlined as far as a basis of humility. How do we listen effectively to our kids to open up the lines of communication? This concept of reflective listening is fairly new to John and I. And I'll be honest, it's coming. I, I feel like we've used it some, but we are, have been reading a book called The Parallel Process. And it's been assigned to us by one of our son's therapists. And um, it's, it's really, this whole concept has been kind of revolutionary. Um, and I just want to explain it and then give you an example. And then Monty and Tanya are going to give you a really awesome, vulnerable look into a conversation with one of their daughters, which is very touching. Um, okay, so before we go through the stages of reflective listening, I want you to think with me about some things that we do wrong as parents when we're communicating with our child. Okay, think about those stages of parenting John mentioned. Sometimes we're still trying to play cop when we should be the coach. We try to fix things for our kids. We try to tell them what to do, how to solve their problems, because we think we know the best way. We think we have the right answer. And we might. But how is that helping our child? How is that, um, come on up here. I'll act like you're not on the front row. <laughs> how is telling them how to solve a problem, preparing them for adulthood when we're not there to tell them what to do, okay? So, um, <coughs> when we want to fix people's problems, then we become that helicopter parent. And your kids will come home and how was such and such, and one of my kids does the sound of a propeller sometimes, to signal to me that there was a helicopter in the room. <coughs> they don't like that. Okay, it's not good. So, steps to reflective listening. The first thing is to be <coughs> present, okay? You can't be distracted, you can't be on your phone, you know, eye contact's good. This is really easy to do when you're driving, okay? You can be present and listening and asking questions because they're a captive audience, okay? Focus on your child, okay? Second is to mirror and validate, okay? This this stage of reflective listening is when you're observing, you're hearing how they feel, you're validating those feelings. Okay? That's really important because you might think they're overreacting. You might think they're being too emotional and this is not that big a deal. But the truth is they're feeling these emotions and we need to validate them. That's a key to understanding why they may be feeling. Because if you don't validate it, you shut it down immediately from the beginning. You shut it down. Um, it also keeps them from coming to us later when they're feeling something emotional. Okay. All right, so the third is to allow the child to problem solve. And I would kind of put three and four can kind of go together, asking questions to them. So again, don't offer a solution. It's like information gathering, asking questions. Tell me more, okay? And then the last step is to um, keep the door open. Uh, this is letting them know that you're there for them 
in the future. Okay. So um, last week when we wrote on the board, you all were giving me all kinds of um, things that our kids are facing these days or things that you may be facing in your home or that you see somebody else facing. I told you that the root of a lot of those destructive behaviors was based in what? Does anybody remember what I said? It's okay if you don't. Okay. It's because they feel inept at managing stress in their life. The key is, that's, that's really important. We, we may not know what the stress is that they're feeling. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's, I don't feel like I measure up. You know, there's some sort of root to the destructive behavior. This helps us figure that out. Okay? Um, okay. This also helps us remember that we're raising adults, not kids. You want people who can figure out their problems on their own. Okay. So let me give you one little example. Okay. Because again, this can work with any age child. When somebody's screaming tantrum fit at four because they didn't get a toy they wanted, you know, we can use this. Same concept. It's just going to be dumbed down just a little bit. So I have a 15-year-old who just asked somebody to homecoming. Okay. I've got homecoming in a few weeks. Hey, Coco, will you skirt with me over to Hoco? Now, my first question when he told me how he wanted to do it was, oh my goodness, what does skirt mean? Is that a bad word? Yeah. Okay, what, what are we doing? And when I asked him, you know, like I tried not to ask like that was a big deal, like I kind of knew what that was. He told me I wouldn't understand. So I went to the Urban Dictionary online, which I <laughs> highly recommend, and I did find out that this means kind of like screeching tires sound, like, you know, burning rubber out. Coco rides a moped to school, and so that was kind of the reference, so it all made sense later. Um, so everything's great. Hoco is an abbreviation for homecoming. Yeah, sorry. Hoco. It's the lingo. Um, everybody knew that. <laughs> um, okay, so Hank has his little group. He's got four couples. They're all worked out for, they're going to dinner before the dance, all that kind of stuff. Well, about a week later, you know, no, normally when Hank gets in the car, hey, how was school? Good. Boring. Fine. I'm tired. You know, it's, you know I'm trying to get information. I picked him up one Friday a couple weeks ago. How was school? <gasps> Full of drama. I'm not hey I go oh okay. really so if we go back to those steps I just read this part of the book so I was like really prepared okay how school you know, I'm listening I'm, I'm asking questions tell, tell me why you know how how is it full of drama well, he proceeds to tell me that other people had asked dates and they don't really like those people, but suddenly those people invited themselves to be in the group and our group is now eight couples and that's too big. And we don't, you know, but, but if we tell them we don't want them to come, you know, his date is at best friends with this person's date who was in the original group and it just, we're going to hurt their feet. You know, it was just, whew, big problems, big problems at 15. So lots of exasperation. So I went to the mirror validating and I could have easily said, this is not a big deal, right? Because it's not in the big scheme of things. It's not a big deal. But it is right now. It's a very big deal to him. So I said, wow, that sounds like a lot of drama. I bet that was exasperating. 
and he said, it was. It was exhausting. All the girls are up and, you know, he starts telling me that. So then I moved to these. I started asking questions. What do you think you're going to do about it? And we talked about that. I didn't, didn't tell him, let me call some of the parents. I didn't do that because that would have been real easy for me, right? I could have called some of the other parents. And then um, I said, we kept the door open. I said, you know what? I bet a lot of this is going to die down over the weekend, but if you want to talk about it some more, I'd be happy to. So know that in reflective listening, you don't fix anything. We're not fixers, okay? We can't be fixers. You're listening. You're validating. You're trying to get them to come up with a solution, and you're being there for them. So, Monty and Tanya are going to share a story of a text thread between Monty and their daughter Hannah. And I want you, maybe we put those steps back up. This, they weren't trained in reflective listening, but they did a really good job of this several years ago. And I want you to look for those stages while they're going through this. First, I'm going to set the stage of who, tell you a little bit about Hannah. No, Hannah is one of the twins, so one of our last two. Um, she's the older of the twin, but high school, middle school, very positive, happy. Never, ever did we think she would, if you looked at my four girls, that would not be the one I would pick to go, she's going to struggle with depression or anxiety, not Hannah. Um, it kind of all started when we look back. In middle school, she went on a mission trip and one of the leaders went to Pepperdine University. And Hannah became really close to Carly and everything and decided Pepperdine was where she was going. So from middle school on, she devoted everything to Pepperdine. She contacted, she was emailing the president of Pepperdine, uh, women of Pepperdine, uh, staff, anybody she could talk to. She was trying to, the, um, the campus minister, just everybody. She had Josh write her a letter, of, a reference letter to anybody he knew. And um, so she got into Pepperdine, but they didn't give her the scholarship that she needed to go to Pepperdine. So, and with us having the four girls in school at that time, we had said, you know, this is what we'll pay. And daddy said, but that's too much for you to take out a student loan. We're not going to do that. <laughs> it is. It's his fault. It's all his fault. <laughs> so, um, so she went to Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee. So we went from the beaches of Malibu <laughs> to Cleveland, Tennessee. <laughs> and um, this is when we started to see her struggling with self-worth, identity. And this is really what started her crisis of faith. Um, as parents, we were encouraging, advising, but we didn't realize um, how real the anxiety that she was dealing with. So one day she sent Moni a text and we're gonna read the text. I'm gonna read Hannah's part and I'm gonna try really hard to hold it together. Um, and Moni's gonna read his part. And if you were in here a year and a half ago, we did read this, but um, we just felt like it was worth resharing and reading. So I will, are you gonna post it? Okay. 
Last night was a rough night. What's up? I don't know. I was just sad. I couldn't stop crying. I just feel empty right now. I don't think it is necessarily one thing or something that was happening because of Lee, because I hung out with friends. I was at worship night and just felt it coming, just like a weight inside of me, and I was just sad. IDK. So I'm glad you'll be home soon so we can talk. Are you still sad today? Yeah, I'm, I still am, and I knew it was coming. I got really anxious Saturday. I prayed about it Monday night because I knew I was feeling empty. And then last night, I just couldn't hold it in. I also feel like it may be because I give all to my friendship. And I'm surrounded by friends who are crazy about other people, but never me. I never get affirmed by anyone. And my anxiety takes that and spews crap in my head. They don't care about me and that kind of stuff. While I'm trying harder to give more and more, I feel like everyone is backing away more and more, which is probably in my mind, and it's left me empty. Because in my head, no one really cares, so why should I care? That makes me empty, almost to the point of numbness. And this has been festering for a while and just burst last night. It's like I'm the easygoing one that doesn't need affirmed, but right now I do. And I don't really get it. I don't think people hate me. I just don't think they know. It is good and shows wisdom that you're beginning to understand what's going on. I'm sure most of the fear is in your head. However, I learned in college years that I was a good person and likable, but many didn't and still don't get me. My only advice is to stop putting your all into friendship. Take what comes. Don't be so needy for acceptance and place yourself in the hands of God and continue to pray for friends that you can count on. Love yourself because you're beautiful. It's just that right now I need the affirmation I do for my friends. Not to make me feel better about myself, but to know that I'm loved because my anxiety is constantly telling me differently on every level. So I just get empty because I'm pouring and pouring out and my mind is telling me, oh, they did this and didn't invite you, which means they don't like you. And it just gets to a point where I can't fight off the lies. That's where I am right now, and it just makes me sad. The lies do. Yes, I know. Get out the casting crowns and listen to the voice of truth. I do all the time when I doubt my value. I feel like this is the best picture I can describe as to what I'm feeling. I'm on the edge of a cliff, anxiety. I can see that I might fall, but I'm still on stable ground. I turn back to my friends, calling on them so, so I don't fall. Because I don't want to fall, but I fall anyway. Depression. Where I see it, I'm, I'm falling off the cliff. I couldn't keep myself together, and the anxiety became overwhelming. That's how I see it, but in reality, this is in this analogy, I'm on stable ground, sitting down with my knees to my chest and my head on my knees. It looks like I'm in self-pity, that I'm just dramatic and want attention. And maybe people are there comforting me, but I can't hear them because in my mind I'm falling and I can't gather myself up to hear anything. But the fact that I'm falling and I can't get myself up. I understand. I wish I could help more. Just know that you are loved and special. 
it's okay, honestly. I just need to be told when I'm this, that I'm loved, heard, and that my feelings are real and I'm not crazy. Because I know my anxiety makes everything a hundred times more intense and, and the thing I'm anxious about may not be a big deal. But I'm not actually anxious about that thought. I'm anxious about everything. It's just that thought that I'm focusing on. When I'm in it, I just need to know that I'm not crazy. What you are thinking is false. It's your anxiety. But I hear you, I love you, and it's okay. I really need my feelings validated, even if it's my anxiety. Because if it's not, that's a trigger for, me, for more anxiety. It's a crazy process, but I know now some of what I need, and that's what I need. I know that maybe not what you want me to say. You'll want me to say something I need to do, like trust in God. You aren't doing that. But honestly, that's just another trigger. Well, your descriptions really help me understand. It helps me know how to handle it. I'm sorry for any guilt triggers. I love you to death and totally respect and admire you. No, it's fine. I know you don't mean it that way. It's just what happens. And I'm learning. I'm really trying. I know the lies are false. And sometimes I can convince myself to stop. But sometimes I can't. And I just need to be told that it's okay. You can tell me kindly that it's my anxiety and that it's not reality, but also that what I'm feeling is real. I need it all, not just one or the other. I love you too. Well, I've learned from experience that anxiety is real and not just a matter of belief. Prayer and worship helps and is involved in the healing process, but does not keep anxiety from occurring. Until now, I didn't fully understand what was in your mind. You won't get preaching from me, but encouragement. I know, I am really, I really am trying. I am praying and in the word, I'm trying to give it to him, but sometimes I fail. And I'm learning that it's okay when I fail and that God is not here to take us away from our suffering, but to give us perseverance to endure the suffering. And being okay in the suffering, waiting, is what brings peace, not being away from suffering. It doesn't make me a terrible Christian or person because I have anxiety and I'm suffering. It's just life. This article, I think, really helps explain how I feel. And it is a great article if you have someone struggling with it when we send you the link. Go on and read the stuff about it. It's really a good article. So I will read it when I get home, and I do understand. Don't ever worry about failure. God loves you no matter what. His love nor mine is based on performance. Yeah, I am trying to learn that and take it to heart. But that's what make what me and my counselor are talking about, which is honestly 100% what I need to go through these tough theology questions, questions I didn't even realize I had. And fears I didn't know were there, but they were always there. I just didn't recognize that's what it was. Well, I'm glad you're in counseling and that he or she is helping. It definitely is because he has validated some of the things that I have said wasn't a big deal, but, in the, but that in reality it was a big deal for me. But at the same time said, okay, 
I hear you, but I'm going to challenge you on that. And we talk through theology because that's what I need right now, to work through my theology and God in general. And he's really helping. I wish you were here to talk with me as well, but in a month we will be together and talk about this. Anxiety has distorted my view of God, making it harder to trust him, and my fear is not being able able to fully trust him, but also that he's going to fail me. I know the truth, but it still doesn't take away that fear because I can deny it, but I know it's there. And I just came to that realization of that fear. Now I'm trying to work through that fear. In the end, fear is always the issue. And the gospel message is that we can overcome fear. That doesn't mean that we never have it, but that we can overcome. You're on a better better path. Still near the bottom, but on a healing path. You're doing the right things. And remember, faith is still holding on, even when it doesn't seem plausible in our minds. Faith never means that we don't struggle with belief. I'm proud of you. Can I have permission to share your text with the parenting class? What you said is very important for parents to understand. Yes, that's fine. Also, something that the counselor said to me, which I also think is important, is that sometimes the best thing you can do is to be silent with the person you're with who's upset or going through something. When we open our mouths is sometimes when the worst happens because we assume what we don't know about them. I just thought that was interesting as well. Yes, I agree. When we walked together in the park. I wanted to say many things, but I stayed mostly silent. Being together is important whether words are exchanged or not. Exactly. It's very touching, and, and again, in the spirit of, of kind of the stages of parenting, we realize that that's an example of kind of that consultant stage, right? Hannah's way at college. But what I'd like to do is just encourage you, to, let's talk about the information that's been shared this morning. Let's, this is a chance for you to process here in the next uh, five or so minutes that we have about what's resonating with you, what's meaningful to you, both you know, through these stories that we're telling and then through some of the theory that we're trying to share. So what what hits you? What resonates with you? I thought it was good that they were able to communicate like that. Did you notice those steps of the reflective listening that were engaged in in the text? One of the things that was really profound to me is um, this one. I just need to be told when I'm uh, when I'm this that I'm loved, heard, and my feelings are real, and I'm not crazy. And that's part of what Catherine was suggesting in those steps of, of validation. Oh, uh, I'll find them. Stand by. Uh, is it, is a sense of validation of those feelings. And I think part of that she probably got from her counselor, and part of that is just kind of oozing out of her. I, you know, I just need to be heard. Um, and Monty did a marvelous job there. Of, <clears throat> I, I would have told my boys what to do. I would have. I think it's also interesting to note, they, they shared this the last time, that Monty was driving back from a business trip. He got this text. 
he may have practiced some bad texting and <laughs> driving habits. And then he pulled over and realized this is the moment when she wanted to talk. And he pulled over and engaged. Other observations or comments? Yes. Thinking back on my parents, one of them did the earlier stages a whole lot better than the other, mm -hmm. and then it flipped when we got to that like advisor, yeah, that, that consultant role. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Being vulnerable with you there, I, I think especially Jake, our third one, who, who is the source of reading this parallel process book. I think especially for me, because his, his anxiety and behavior and some of his learning differences manifest itself in such a negative way, I kept trying to pull this cop over into this stage. And I mean, it just wasn't working. And he was having feelings and um, was processing in a way that I just wasn't giving it room to breathe. And I wasn't validating those feelings. I was just, you know coming with a hammer. We, I don't use a hammer for discipline. It was a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, we've Very good, Scott. In fact, uh, on the uh, the uh, you know the what the graphic that I don't love. That's actually what the, this is about here. Is it you know the child is a toddler? You're up here in the, the bay of security, and you know they're in the roped off part, and you can watch them like a hawk. And then they go out in this boat, but they're still kind of harbored in some way. But the jetty of adolescence is hilarious to me. <laughs> is where the rocky times are, but the parent is on the boat with them. It is pointing out some of the rocks, and then you're trying to get them to the Sea of Independence. Uh, I know it sounds totally corny. It works when you're presented the whole thing, but you're right, Scott. It's very blurry. I mean, it's all water. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, so some of you heard this before. I'm, I apologize for conversations. TG may get R at sometimes, but uh, we totally validate that. Catherine and I came from a very conservative upbringing. The first time I heard about Grace was when I was a sophomore at Lipscomb. It's the first time I heard about it. Um, so, so we may have overcorrected. So one of the things I do with my son is I explain to them where you can buy a condom. From There's a Walgreens on every corner, and that's where you can buy a condom. And the reason that I talk so openly about that, that's my choice, I'm not recommending that, I'm just saying it's my choice, is because I think what we've got to do is we've got to turn it over to being a coach, right? And, and we're in the throes of football season, and those coaches see those players on the field make a mistake all the time. Sometimes the coach will yell at them for that, but a lot of times the coach will take them under their arm and say, you know, next time in that situation, here's what to do. And, and part of what Catherine's uh, 
discussion here, reflective listening is, and, and this is at the heart of where we all struggle, we're not allowing our children to make mistakes. The pressure of our culture is such that, you know, Monty was saying, you know, you didn't even want to see the people, you and Hannah were struggling, that you were arguing, we want to keep it together, right? Um, but that that's really, you know, at the heart of the matter. Other comments? Yes. This is a black thing to time, I just want to conclude uh, with you that some thoughts we had for you, some takeaways, okay? One, think about listening with humility. Money is just challenging us. This is, 
you know, we think we're going to come in this class, we're going to get some tips to fix our kids. And what we're just trying to tell you is that we, we're a disaster as parents. And I think approaching this from a posture of humility is really helpful. And, and listening to God with the spirit of humility, but listening to our kids with the reflective listening. And listening to counselors in your community, you know, to, to get with your, whether that's your life group or your spouse or um, your mentors uh, or professionals, as, as you've heard us done. And then the last thing, a theme that we just want to keep reminding you as reflected by ours who got married this summer, and that is, I know it seems like you're raising kids, but you're raising adults. And our hope is that somehow there'll be a healthy contributor to humanity and not, you know, not some barnacle on the boat of humanity, right? Or perish the thought that we're so worried about they're going to live in our basement and play destiny. <laughs> so may you be encouraged as you look toward raising adults. Uh, yes, yeah, more comments. We really quick hint that somebody, we have a two-year-old at home, yeah. so we haven't practiced this too much, but listening should be in every one of those yeah. opinions. Um, listening, non-reactive listening. And if you don't react when they're telling you stories about their friends and you're like, oh my gosh, please don't hang out with that cat, um, they're going to be more open to coming to you, whether it's about their friends or themselves. And so, Good great point. tip that we're trying to live out. Good point. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Good tip. <laughs>